0: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast,
1: hour three. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the country from Georgia. But I want to be with you wherever you are. It's very smoky here today. I guess the Canadians are on fire again. Did you, by the way, did y'all hear Justin Trudeau uh, blames uh, right wingers in America? For Muslims being concerned about gender and and uh, the the woke the the gender unicorn and the like, this is becoming a thing. So you know what I, I'm I'm going to to well, I'll, I'll deal with what I want to deal with here, but weave this all in together. Um, I've mentioned this before and I've read from it before. Uh, the theologian Tim Keller, who passed away earlier this year he wrote probably the greatest takedown on intersectionalism that has been written. And he did it uh, in a a biblical critique of secular justice and critical theory. He did a really good job on it. And he talks about critical theory is postmodern, and it's uh, a view of justice, And you should understand that this view of justice is all about power distribution. That's what intersectionally, you hear the words intersectionalism or critical theory. It's all about power. Drawing on the teachings of Karl Marx, what can be called postmodern critical theory has emerged very recently with its own account of justice, which is sharply different from all the others. Because it has taken shape more recently and come on the scene so forcefully, we should interact with it. Postmodern critical theory argues first, the explanation for all unequal outcomes in wealth, well-being, and power is never due to individual actions, or to the differences in cultures, or to differences in human abilities but only and strictly due to unjust social structures and systems. The only way to fix unequal outcomes for the downtrodden is through social policy, never by asking individuals to change their behavior or culture. Second, all art, religion, philosophy, morality, law, media, politics, education, and forms of the family are determined not by reason or truth, but by social forces. Everything is determined by your class consciousness and social location. Religious doctrine, together with all politics and law, are always at bottom, a way for people to get or maintain social status, wealth, and therefore power over others. Third, reality is nothing but power. If that's the case, then to see reality, power must be mapped through intersectionality. The categories are race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity. If you're white, male, straight, cisgender, that is your gender and your sexuality align, then you have the highest amount of power. If you're none of these, you're the most marginalized and oppressed. There are numerous categories in the middle. Most importantly, each category towards the powerless end of the spectrum has greater moral authority and a greater ability to see the way things truly are. Only powerlessness and oppression bring moral high ground and true knowledge. Therefore, those with more privilege must not enter into any debate. They have no right or ability to advise the oppressed, blinded as they are to their social location. They simply must give up power. Fourth, the main way power is exercised is through language, through dominant discourses. A dominant discourse is any truth claim, whether grounded in supposed reason and science or in religion or morality. Language does not merely describe reality, it creates reality. Power structures mask themselves behind the language of rationality and truth. So academia hides unjust structures behind academic freedom. Corporations talk about free enterprise. Science talks about empirical objectivity. Religion talks about divine truth. All of these seeming truth claims are just really constructed narratives designed to dominate, and as such, they have to be unmasked. Reasoned debate and freedom of speech, therefore, is out. It only gives unjust discourse time. The only way to reconstruct reality in a just way is to subvert the dominant paradigms. This requires control of your speech. Fifth, cultures, like people, can be mapped through intersectionality. In one sense, no culture is better in any regard from any other. All cultures are equally valid. But people who see their cultures as better and judge other cultures as inferior, or even people who see their own culture as normal and judge others as exotic or inferior, are members of an oppressive culture. And oppressive cultures are inferior and to be despised. That's why they hate America. Finally, Neither individual rights nor individual identity are primary. Traditional liberal emphasis on individual human rights, like private property and free speech, is an obstacle to the radical changes society will need to undergo in order to share wealth and power. And it's an illusion to think that as an individual, you can carve out an identity in any way different or independent of others of your own race, ethnicity, gender, and so on. Group identity and rights are the only real ones. Guilt is not assigned on the basis of individual actions, but on the basis of group membership and social racial status. That explains critical theory. So that explains why Justin Trudeau of Canada, would blame the American right for Muslims being upset about gender identity issues in schools. Why? Because it's the far right that has set the dominant discourse that gender identity is bad. Muslims are part of an inferior group Therefore, they have higher moral privilege and they should allow others with moral privilege for being an oppressed group or an inferior group to exert themselves. And the only reason the Muslims care is because they're trying to be white like white people. And because the Muslims are trying to be white like white people, they are opposed to gender identity because white people are opposed to gender identity. Therefore, the Muslims are enacting white supremacy. If that sounds convoluted to you, it's because it is. But it's what Justin Trudeau and others on the left believe. They believe that you cannot act out of your belief system, that if your belief system and if you're a non-white person and you are going against another non-white heterosexual group, it's because you are manifesting white supremacy yourself. It can't be that you really believe this stuff. That's the thing with critical theory and the woke nonsense of the day. Wokeism is just a manifestation of critical theory. If you don't really believe the stuff you say, they don't believe it either. It's a means to power for them. They don't really believe this stuff. I mean, some of the crazy ones do, but generally at, at the elite level, they don't believe it. It's just a matter of wielding power to say you believe this stuff. And so they don't believe religion is real. They don't believe that Muslim convictions are real. So increasingly, whether it's Montgomery County, Maryland, or Dearborn, Michigan, or Canada, Muslim families are opposing uh, gender indoctrination in schools. And the left, fully embracing critical theory, believes that they're just manifesting white supremacy. It can't be that their religion says there are men and women. And nothing else it it, it can't be that they believe that god makes you male and female and you can't change because because god's just a figment of people's imagination concocted by white supremacists to control the non-white people that that's what critical theorists believe god is not real god is a manifestation of white supremacy used to lord it over everyone else and the muslims have had powerful people tell them there's a God and to control them. And so their belief in what their God says is just a manifestation of that power dynamic now made real by white supremacy. It's all rather crazy, is it not? But this is where they are. This is where it leads to. It leads to the prime minister of Canada not believing Muslims' sincere religious view is real. We see it in this country with Christians who are told, bigot, you better bake the cake. Their religious conviction is not real and cannot trump the rights of others. It it cannot be used to rule out the demands of the inferior people. At this time in this country, the only people who can be bossed around and told what to do are white Christian men who don't have disability and are heterosexual. If you're a heterosexual male who is white and Christian and doesn't have a disability, you get to be bossed around by everybody else. That's what critical theory says. And if anyone behaves like they think you behave, well, they're just manifesting white supremacy. It's all kind of insane. And it is that insanity that is pervasive on the left these days. And it's also an insanity that leads them to eat their own. And it leads them to deep and dark despair. It leads them to thinking the world is not good it leads them to thinking that they need to control climate to control the white men. It has nothing really to do about saving the planet and everything to do with control. Kamala Harris let her mask slip. She said the United States, you know what it needs to do to fight climate change? Reduce population. That's right. She was at Copping State University in Baltimore, Maryland talking about clean energy economy. We need... When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. The official White House transcript acknowledges and corrects her error. She was meant to say reduce pollution. Instead, she said population. They said it was a gaffe. I say it's giving away the game. Y'all, the left wants power. It wants to control all of us. It wants to change our language. It wants to control how we talk. It wants to silence dissent. It wants to chase us from the public square. It wants to do all of these things because as long as we exist, they can't have total power. As long as we speak up, they can't have total power. And that's why we are obliged to speak up. It's why the Muslim parents should speak up about what their kids are learning and not learning. It's why you and I should speak up about what our kids are learning and not learning. It's why we should not give in to the green agenda, which is an agenda designed to control us. These people are miserable. They think we're all going to die. They want us miserable as well. And all we have to do, it's actually really easy. What we should do, what we can do, what we must do is stand up to them, not be afraid to stand up to them, not allow their fear, gloom, dread, and despair to get in the way of us living our lives. If you do that, if you stand up, if you be bold, If you don't shy away from your truth, which is actually the truth, they can't win, and it makes them more miserable, and it makes them more angry, and that makes more people flee them to you. All you got to do is smile and not be a biblical donkey. By now, you probably know that the Barbie movie is coming out on Friday, and so is the Oppenheimer movie. Um, I've got to be in Las Vegas on Friday, and I may have to go find an IMAX theater to watch Oppenheimer. It's getting incredible, 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 incredible reviews. Um, I want to see this movie so bad, and it doesn't use CGI to recreate the explosion. Um, what I find very funny is that attacks are already being mounted against it from other would-be contenders for the Academy Award Prize. You know, this is going to be the funniest, funniest thing. Um, is At the Academy Award season, it gets political and nasty as people trash each other's films. And we're already seeing, did you know that Oppenheimer... Tried to prevent uh, nuclear scientists from opposing uh, nuclear testing. How terrible! Um, it, it, we're, we're gonna we're gonna see this. I'm so I love Christopher Nolan movies. I, I'm not always a fan of the like. Tenet was a just a weird movie. It was a good movie. It was visually impressive. It was an interesting story. But you're just kind of like, huh? And Interstellar, my my 14-year-old son loves Interstellar, uh, just thinks it's cool. I actually think it's a cool movie too, but it's also one of those weird time-traveling movies. You can't really do a whole lot of a time-travel movie here. This is kind of um, the first major biographical movie Christopher Nolan has done. It's based on the book American Prometheus. Here's the thing, though. The early reviews of this movie, my kids want to go see it and i keep telling them that i got to go see it first before they're allowed to see it because every single reviewer it seems like has said it's more horror story that it's it's a deeply disturbing movie now of course these are people who they just can't handle the bomb um but i'm excited to see it i also think it's kind of funny the the memes out there the barbie memes uh, so the Barbie movie comes out on Friday and essentially the Barbie movie, as I understand it, is Barbie and Ken like get into the real world and it's it's bizarre. I don't I don't know. I got nothing. My daughter's gonna go see it. she'll tell me about it. I, I don't I have no desire to see the Barbie movie, but it may be time to go back to the theater for this one. People are going to the theater for Mission Impossible as well. Mission Impossible is um, doing gangbusters. I will see it when it comes on video. I just I, I want to see the Mission Impossible movies, but I just I I got this hard hard hang up over Tom Cruise and Scientology, and I I just I feel like I'm rewarding a cult by going to see a Tom Cruise movie. And look, I saw um I, I saw Top Gun Maverick. It was a great movie. I didn't go to the theater to see it, and I'll watch I'll watch Mission Impossible. I've seen all the others. I'll watch too. But I just I don't know. I have this guilt over propping up a guy in, in Scientology. Uh, but I, I don't want to see the Barbie movie. I'll, I'll let my kid tell me all about the Barbie movie. The Oppenheimer movie, however, I'm going to go see it. I'll tell you, my son and I went and saw the Spider-Man movie twice, and we didn't realize it had multiple versions. It's so cool. It's such a good movie. It comes out to uh, tomorrow on video, and he's already ready for it to be downloaded so he can watch it a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth time. It just, it's a cool, cool movie. The first Spider-Man uh, movie, the Spider-Verse movie, did great. This one goes further down that rabbit hole. And it's part one of two. We didn't realize that going in that it was, it was going to be a sequel. But it was a great movie. Uh, movies are coming back. Theaters are starting to come back after COVID. And movie theaters have upgraded. I kind of would hate to see the end of the American movie. But the actors and actresses are striking now because of streaming. Nobody knows how much... Movies are really seen on streaming services, and that's part of the strike is actors and actresses want better metrics for who's watching, how much they're watching, and how much the movies are worth and generating. They don't generate as much on streaming as they do at the big box box office theater, and I would hate to see that go away. I've got a giant TV. I have a giant TV, but it's still not as big as a movie theater screen, and I love movies and movie theater popcorn, and I would hate to see them die off. Oppenheimer might get a lot of people into the theater this weekend, and I hope so. Barbie as well will bring them in. Go to the double feature. See Barbie, want to hate humanity, and then go watch Oppenheimer. Wipe it out. It'll be the perfect punch to watch those two movies together. Hello there, and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. If you text the word Eric E R I C K to three three seven seven seven, you can get the podcast, the live stream, the show notes, all my social media links. You should follow me on Instagram. Let me go to the phones. Bill, you're going to be up next. Welcome to the show, Bill. How are you? I'm good, Eric. How are you? Love your show. Good. Thank you. Um, I, I saw a comment over the weekend.
0: By the way, I loved your comment about Tom Cruise and Scientology, too. I have the same problem. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a comment my, made by Trump over the weekend that he liked Tim Scott and would love to have him in his administration if he won the election. And I'm troubled by that for Tim Scott, because I love Tim Scott. If I was voting today, I would vote for Tim Scott.
1: Um, I'm troubled because I'm afraid voters will think that Scott might be tied to Trump. And I just want to get your comments on that. So, you know, I think if Donald Trump is the nominee, that Tim Scott will support him. And frankly, having a Tim Scott... Uh, and whispering in Donald Trump's ear would be far better than having a lot of other people whispering in Trump's ear. True, um, very true. I don't yeah. know that he would leave the Senate to be vice president, but why not? Um, I just, I look, I'm biased. I think the world of Tim Scott, I, I love the guy. I don't have a bad word to say against Tim Scott. Um, he would be a hell of a president and he'd be a great vice president too. I don't know what uh, the good Lord's got in store for Tim Scott, but... If Donald Trump's the nominee, Scott's a Republican. He's going to support the Republican nominee. If Donald Trump asks him to be vice president, he'd be a whole lot better than a Kerry Lake or someone like that as vice president. Um, the thing about Yeah, the, I mean, the the thing about Trump is, and I, I wonder if this is going to be one of these critiques is, of Trump is that he listened to the people who whispered in his ears. The last person out of the room tended to get the the biggest influence, and those were some great people during his first four years, but a lot of those people are now supporting other people. Um, So who is left to whisper in Trump's ear other than a lot of the grifters out there? And so you put someone like Tim Scott in, uh, and suddenly you've got someone who is a good Christian guy who's got a good moral sense of what's right and wrong in the world, and I would much rather Tim Scott be whispering in Trump's ear than someone else. So I, I, I would frankly prefer Scott to be the nominee than Trump. I, I think he'd have a better shot against Biden. Uh, but yeah. I, if he's got to be the nom if he's got to be the vice presidential nominee, so be it. I, 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 I like Tim Scott. Thank you, Rick. Yep, absolutely, Bill. Yep, that's that's it. I don't know if that's what you wanted to hear, but I, look, y'all, I, I really like Tim Scott. I think there's only one weakness to Tim Scott's presidential campaign, and it's it's not insurmountable. It's an easy one. Um, he's not married. We haven't had a bachelor in the White House since before the Civil War. Uh, and and I think that is something that he's going to be attacked by the left for. It's going to be very funny if Scott were the Republican nominee to watch the left try to gay bait him like they to Lindsey Graham. I don't know that that'll fly. Um, you know as a side it is interesting isn't it not that South Carolina has two bachelors in the Senate uh, but uh I, I I just I think the left will do a whisper campaign against Tim Scott but man I love Tim Scott y'all yeah you know it just I wasn't gonna tell you this this is this is all y'all's fault callers getting me off on on wild threads um Tim Scott is a man. Who, if he were president of the United States, would be the first American descended from slavery to be president of the United States? I get accused a lot of well being a DeSantis guy. I spend a lot of time talking about DeSantis because DeSantis is number two in the polling. I I, I fundamentally believe and listen. You and I can agree to disagree on this. I really do believe, though, that either in 2020, Trump lost or it was stolen from him, and he's done nothing to change the dynamic of having it stolen again. I mean, he was in charge then, and Biden's in charge now. I really think he just lost, and he hasn't done anything to change the narrative. He's got to depend on Joe Biden to screw up the economy more, to... Win the election. He's not. He's attacking, spending more time attacking Republicans. He's attacking Kim Reynolds. He's attacking the evangelicals in Iowa. He's. Uh, I just. I. I think he would be a bad nominee. I really fundamentally think so. He's not my cup of tea. Generally, I think character counts. Don't think he has great character. We got a lot of good out of his administration, but we could get so much better with someone who could spend eight years instead of just four years. Among other issues, but. If the election were held tomorrow, I'm mindful he'll be the Republican nominee. Trump will be the nominee unless something changes. But I, so I get a lot of people come after me for DeSantis and, oh, you're a DeSantis flax. So I, DeSantis just happens to be double digits in the polling and raising more money than everybody. So of course we focus on him. But Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, they're friends. And I just, I, I just, I got to say this. I need this on the record. Regardless of your preference, for president of the United States as a Republican. It is objectively the truth that if Tim Scott were the Republican nominee and got elected, or even just the Republican nominee, he would be the first descendant of slaves to win a major party nomination. If he got elected to the United States presidency, Tim Scott, would be the first descendant of slaves to be elected president of the United States. We have all of these people in this country committed to the fact that our nation is systemically racist, that the institutions themselves are aligned towards racism. You put a direct descendant of African slaves in the White House, you blow up the left's favorite narrative to hate the United States, more so than Barack Obama, whose mother descended from slave owners and father was Kenyan. Tim Scott descends from the slaves Barack Obama's ancestors owned. There's something to be said for that. Regardless of who you support for president, whether you like Tim Scott or not, that's a historic fact. Reuters did a story right before the Fourth of July. Every living American president except Donald Trump descends from slave owners. That includes Barack Obama, who history notes is America's first black president. But his mother was white, his father was a Kenyan immigrant. Barack Obama is not descended from African slaves. He is descended from American slave owners. That is a truth you may not be comfortable with, but it's true. Where Tim Scott elected president of the United States, he is a descendant on both sides of his family from African slaves. He would be the first American president to truly have overcome the legacy of this country's original sin. And that would be an impressive accomplishment. He's also someone deeply grounded in his faith. He's also someone out there who believes that a happy warrior needs to run, that someone with an optimistic message needs to run, that someone who can tell Americans that, you know, the country is actually good. The country is just not a great country. It's a country full of good people who intend to do good in the world. And he believes that. He fundamentally believes it. He is a man who experienced racism in South Carolina, but does not believe the country is racist. He is a man who has seen bad people, but does not believe people are bad. He is a man who has faced discrimination, but does not believe the systems of this country are aligned to discriminate. To the extent he's such a threat to the legacy of all the the ideological things Democrats believe, Barack Obama himself has started taking to attacking Tim Scott for telling a Pollyanna-style story. You got the former black president of the United States, I think is a little bit uh, apprehensive about the idea of Tim Scott uh, rewriting history because he would be the first descendant of slaves as opposed to Obama, whose family owned slaves. It's notable that Tim Scott is the one the Democrats are calling out. Tim Scott is the one the Democrats are attacking. Tim Scott is the one the Democrats say uh, has, has the wrong message. And what is it? His message is that if you work hard in this country, you can achieve things, that this country is not racist and the people are not racist, that there are racists, but that's not the people, that's not the country, and that's not the institutions. And the Democrats are appalled by that message that tells you everything you need to know about Tim Scott. This is not an endorsement of any candidate. It's just the simple truth of what would happen if he were president of the United States. You know, I. I so I, I've got all the candidates, most of the candidates come. Trump's not coming. Burgum's not coming. Asa Hutchinson would be a waste of my time. Uh, but Haley, Pence, Scott... Uh, Desantis, Christie, Ramaswamy—they're uh, all coming to Atlanta in August for my annual gathering. Uh there's still tickets left. I'll—I'll I'll make it um, so you guys get access to the tickets. There are tickets left. We're expecting a good crowd. The national press. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, did the—the uh, the event in Iowa. Spent a lot of time on Ukraine. I don't want to even talk about Ukraine. I want—I want to do my standard uh, take because the, the goal here is not for me to engage in an inquisition of the candidates is to let them sell themselves to people. And I want to know why you, not them. What makes you better than the other people in the race? That's what I want to know. If we vote for you, what does America look like when you're done? I I, I want to know. And I, I think we need to know. I, I think we need their vision. We need their view of the future and we're not getting it from these conversations, whether it's the cajoling them on Ukraine or, or, uh, how are you going to fight the wokes that, that doesn't really tell me what they're going to do for the country. I, I, I want to know what they're going to do. I want to know what their preferred policy is. I want to know what after, after four years or eight years, what does America look like when you're done? I want to know in a race that features multiple governors, a former president, a former vice president, a multi uh, tech venture capitalist. I mean, what sets you apart? Why should people vote for you over them? I want their vision. I want what they think distinguishes them. And I think, I suspect, we'll get it on stage uh, at the gathering. Uh, we used to call it, it was the Red State Gathering, then it was the Resurgent Gathering, and now it's just the Eric Erickson Show Gathering. We bring the audience from around the country live together in person to hear from all the presidential candidates. It'll happen August 17th through the 20th. I'll get it set up for you all to get tickets. However, if you go to erickericksonshow.com or ewerickson.com, you can click – there's a there's a tab that says The Gathering. You click it, and you can buy tickets there. Go to EWerickson.com. Click the click the ticket page uh, for The Gathering, and you can get a ticket. Come, we'll have DeSantis. We'll have Christy uh, Pence, Haley, Scott, Ramaswamy. Um, we'll have Brian Kemp will be there. Uh, we're working on getting Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, there. They're not running for president, but I wanted him there. Uh, Joni Ernst of Iowa is going to be there. Tom Cotton is going to be there um we'll have a a good group of people to discuss public policy discuss the future of conservatism and discuss from these candidates what exactly do you want to do should you become president of the united states you should and i got to get back to doing the recipes now for those of you who are new here if you text eric e-r-i-c-k so my name is the best of both worlds i got the c and the k uh, so e-r-i-c-k you text that word e-r-i-c-k To 33777 and i'm gonna send you back a lot of links uh including my daily email you should subscribe to it so if you're new here at noon every day you get the list of all the links you get the stack of stuff so you get all the links to all the stuff i'm going to talk about so you can read it for yourself you don't have to call the show and say where can i get the link you get it in your email inbox along with a lot of other stuff you also get my morning piece that goes to everybody Uh, not just to paid subscribers. You can get uh, a lot of access to information. You get discounts to the conference over time, things like that. Uh, Exclusive interviews, you get videos from the show, but you also get my social media link. So you get the link for Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. So you can follow me around and you should follow me on Instagram more than anywhere else. It's, it's the good social media place. I I had this um, conversation this weekend. So my wife one of the weird aspects of the of the chemo that my wife is on, she takes an oral chemo every day. And one of the weird aspects of it is it dries her skin out very bad. And if she uses cosmetic products with alcohols in them, it makes it even worse. She gets bad rashes and stuff. So she discovered this uh, skincare product called Holly Beth Organics. And there was this little hippy-dippy shop in Atlanta where she could get all of her uh, non-alcohol organic uh, soaps and face washes and stuff. I'll never forget. I went in this place after Donald Trump got elected and literally they had a, they had a basket of clothespins, and, um, you, you could, you could put one on you, uh, and it was to designate your, you, you felt safe and loved. and, And it had little, little comfort sayings for after Donald Trump got elected. That's the sort of store this place was. Uh, but it sold this Holly Beth Organics, and, and the place has gone under, and my wife can't find it. We were up in Clayton, Georgia, and they had a store uh, selling the stuff, and they were out of it. And then my wife looked and said, oh, there's a standalone store. Turns out that was the, uh, the woman's actual office, uh, her shop. We went in. It was like talking to your long-lost best friend. We sat and visited with that lady for two hours. She was as nice as she could be. And this is the lady who makes the skincare products that um, help my wife. Uh, and, um, particularly during the winter time when it's so dry and her chemo is, is drying out her skin, this lady makes the, this moisturizer and we sat and talked to her as if she was our long lost best friend. It was just the funnest, nicest conversation. She was as nice as she could be. Uh, and of all places, Clayton, Georgia, she sells all over the world. She's been in Southern living and Forbes. Um, she's traveled all over the world. She sells a lot to Asian markets, um, to, to women in, in, uh, Japan, Korea, um, and it sells all over the country. It's just it's phenomenal that this little, this little bitty I mean, it's the office, the, the studio, the, the room that I'm in is bigger than the house that she works out of. And she sells all over the world. But she and I were, were lamenting uh, having to be so wedded to social media now to sell her products. She's on online. Uh, Holly Beth Organics is, is the name and she sells all over the world and she does it from her studio in Clayton, Georgia. And she and I were both just lamenting how given what she does for a living, given what I do for a living, you just got to be online. You got to be on social media. I don't want to be on social media. I would prefer it if y'all never saw one of my show clips on Instagram. It's where I like to put up my photography. It's where I like to put up my cooking pictures, where I like to put up my travel pictures. I'll be in Las Vegas on Friday. I'll put up pictures being in Vegas, but nowadays everybody's got to be promoting. Everybody's always got to be promoting. Everybody's always got to be talking themselves up, and I hate to talk about myself. I don't like to promote my show. Uh, I, I suck at it. Uh, I'm not comfortable doing it, and everybody's so tied to it. Yeah, and you know, so while we were up there, we were on a mountaintop, and cell phones didn't work. There was Wi-Fi. It wasn't great Wi Fi. It was slow because it's satellite. It was on a mountaintop. There were a lot of trees. The kids could call us, though. There's an option. If you have an iPhone, you go into your settings, go to cellular, and there's a, a Wi Fi calling option so they can call over the internet. And it sounds good. The, the voice is, is pretty good. But the download speeds for everything was awful. So we didn't really look at Instagram, didn't look at Twitter, wasn't on websites, just had to unplug. And it was so good. It was so nice to not have to care about what people were saying on Twitter or look at everything. I just, social media gets so overwhelming; it can be bad for your health. It's like telling you at the beginning of the show, my son wants to cut a tree down. That that He literally wants to chop down a tree. And he's like, we need woods. Like, we got woods next to our house, but we don't own the property. I was like, well, the back of the property, we own the back of the property. And we own those woods. You can cut down a tree back. If you really want to cut down a tree, we can cut down a tree. He doesn't really have a reason to cut down a tree, though. I'm like, well, you're going to have to chop it up for firewood for our fire pit if you cut it up. That's kind of daunting. But he just wants to go outside and do stuff. He's, he's 14, and he is starting to realize he is online too much, and he doesn't want to be. And I'm glad our kids have that level of self-awareness. I wish others did. Uh, and sometimes, parents, you yourselves need to have the awareness to have your children unplug from the Internet. It is not good for their mental health to be so online. Look at the crazies on TikTok. My gosh. All right. I've said enough. I'm out of here for today. I will be back with you tomorrow. I'll be in my flagship studio tomorrow. I will see you all then.